0: heavenly wisdom that I think surpasses, that surpasses the way that we typically think of money. And so that's what we've been talking about. Last week, Jeff uh, opened our series of wisdom, talking about how where your heart, where your money flows, that's where your heart goes. And that was a, a convicting message for me as well. And uh, so I want to challenge you today to not hear what God is going to say to you, what I'm going to say to you. Hopefully God will be speaking through me. That's what I've been praying for. I want to challenge you not to hear what I'm going to be saying and what God's going to say for the sake of somebody else. This message is not for the person to your left or your right. This message is for you, and it will be challenging and hard to receive all of it. I think it might challenge some of the ways that you typically think about things like this. That being said, I also believe that if you don't interact with what God is saying to you, you don't respond in a particular way, and it maybe it's the way that's going to be right for you. It'll be easy for it to fall on deaf ears. So I want to encourage you, in whatever way works for you, to, to interact. Maybe some of you, like our awesome students, say amen. Um, some of you, maybe you're just like, I'm a note taker. That's what I do. I take notes. Uh, some of you just constantly post good quotes that, you, that, that the Lord speaks to you. Maybe some of you just kind of point at me and just let me know I'm, I'm with you. Right? I like all of that. I like all of that. And maybe some of you are actually going to do something about it at the end of the message. And so whatever the way it is for you, I want to encourage you, don't, don't let this just be something you hear. Uh, let this be something that moves you to action somehow. Because I believe that if, if you interact with the Word of God as He's speaking to you, God has a way of sealing that on your heart and on your mind. And I think it's important enough to do that. I think this is important enough because really... What we're going to talk about this morning really has the potential to set you free from anxiety and set you free from worry. Which sounds awesome, right? Like how many of you would love to never, ever have anxiety or worry ever again? Okay, good. Got a few of you with me. I think we can do this. Let's jump in. But before we do that, let me pray. Jesus, I want to ask your blessing upon the preaching of your word this morning. This is a supernatural act that will be absolutely pointless unless you are part of it. I can get up here and give a TED Talk, Lord Jesus, and that will not change anybody's life. It's not me, it's not my words. Lord, I pray that you would be speaking this morning through the preaching of your word, and that our hearts would be soft to hear what you have to say today. Amen. Do you ever read stories of how really rich people obtained their fortunes? Some of them just inspire me with how heartwarming it is. Others of them just absolutely confuse me with their complexity. Like, of course I'm not rich. I could never do that. Uh, some of them just make me laugh. And a lot of people obtain a fortune in a number of different ways. Now, some of them, newsflash, there are thousands and thousands of people who make their entire living online. In fact, a couple years ago, a guy named the, by the name of Felix Kjellberg reported seven and a, yeah, some of you guys know who that is. Reported seven and a half million dollars, and this is this is how he got seven and a half million dollars. He would play video games, upload a live stream of that video game to YouTube, and advertisers would want to advertise on his YouTube because he had a big following. He made seven and a half million dollars simply from advertisers paying him to put ads in his live stream video game. Uh, some of you guys, if, if you, some of you already recognize him. This is a uh, famous YouTuber by the name of PewDiePie, which is kind of cutie pie. Um, PewDiePie made seven and a half million dollars. Another man, this one, this one blows me away. His name is Ronald Reed. You can throw his picture out. Yeah. Ronald Reed was a janitor and a, uh, a, what was he? He's a, a gas station attendant. And I got this story from NBC News. Modest salary his whole life. Worked as a janitor and a gas station attendant. This is him eating breakfast like he did every single morning at his local hospital. Unknown to everyone until he died at 92 years old, Ronald Reed had quietly amassed an $8 million fortune. Does this look like an $8 million millionaire? And all he did, I mean, it was smart spending and investing habits. No one, his family didn't even know about his his amazing wealth. Like, this guy grew up very humble beginnings, uh, first in his family to graduate high school, served in North Africa, Italy, and the Pacific during World War II. And after the war, he came home, and he served as a gas station attendant and a janitor at JCPenney. I mean, he lived very frugally his whole life. He didn't spend money unless he had to. And his friends remember him driving just a secondhand Toyota Yaris, using safety pins to hold his coat together, cutting his own firewood well into his 90s. Um, And by the end of his life, he had $8 million to his name, 6 million of which he left to his local library and hospital. I love this. But here's the point. Wealth uh, is experienced in many different forms and at many different stages of life. But the one thing that's common about wealth is everybody wants a little bit more than what they have, and nobody wants to lose it. Right? Like, everybody wants more money than what they currently have, including me, and nobody wants to lose it. In just a moment, I want to introduce to you a powerful and very hard-hitting message from the mouth and the heart of Jesus. And if you actually take his advice seriously, I think you will experience unprecedented wealth that will never depreciate and will be impossible to lose. And you're going to discover unexplainable freedom from anxiety and worry. And you're like, Pastor Brand; there is no possible way on planet Earth that you could deliver a promise like that. Uh, that sounds way too good to be true. But before we dive into his word, I, I want to prepare you for what I'm about to say. Because I think that you're gonna, what you're going to receive from Jesus is not actually going to be easy to hear. I'm not talking about a get-rich-quick strategy. This is wealth building that lasts. If, you're, if your life is going to look different, then your life is going to have to look different. I know, that was deep. Maybe some of you should write that down. If your life is going to look different, your life might actually have to look different and and that's what Jesus is really good at helping you achieve. So I really believe that if you let him, Jesus will help you experience less anxiety and more peace. Lower risk and greater wealth. And the best part is you can't ever lose it. Now I know I have your attention. So let's dive into Jesus' word today. If you have your Bible, turn with me to Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12, we're going to be in verse 13. and You can stand for the reading of God's word. We're going to read it together on the screen here. Luke chapter 12. I'd encourage you, if you have a Bible, read it out of your own Bible. I don't want you to just take my word for it. Take God's word for it. Here we go. It says, Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said, Man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, Take care, And be on guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable, saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grains and my goods. One more slide, there we go. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself himself and is not rich toward God. And he said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food, and the body is more than clothing. Well done, you can sit down. Here's a quick recap. The man is already rich, but then he has an amazing year. So unusually amazing that he can retire early. And on the eve of his retirement, just as he's finally able to experience the abundance of his wealth, he dies. Which sounds like a sad, sad story. This man is fictional, right? Jesus is telling a parable. Um, but this parable is not spoken in a vacuum, and it's not spoken in, with no purpose. Leading up to this point, Jesus Had just finished, he was invited to the house of a Pharisee, a religious leader, someone who was an expert, not only in the word of God, but then in leading God's people. Very revered, very honored in his time. And there was many other religious leaders there. Uh, Lawyers, and we're talking about religious lawyers with the the Old Testament law. Uh, There were scribes, there was Pharisees, there was priests. A lot of religious people were there. And for an, almost the entire chapter, Jesus deals out woe after woe after woe to the heart condition of these Pharisees. So as a response, some of them are pushing back. And, and as he starts to leave the house, an entire crowd is surrounding him. So you have, you have uh, really high up elites, and you have very normal people, all in the same crowd together. And so as Jesus does amazingly well, He's always keeping eternity in perspective of what he's talking about now. So so you get into chapter 12, the beginning of chapter 12, and Jesus is talking about um, keeping eternity in perspective when dealing with the deception of the Pharisees. First three verses. Next three verses, verses 4 to 7. Remember your value before God. That's going to anchor you in a current moment. And standing firm in your witness for Jesus in the next few verses. And so as we jump in to verse 13, there's this man who approaches Jesus. And there is a disposition that Scripture gives to him. He is anxious. We get that from the implications of what Jesus responds to him with, with this parable. Um, This man is anxious and in a desperation because his brother got an inheritance and he didn't. He's going to miss out on vast material wealth unless older brother shares what he has. Tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. For some reason, he thinks that he is entitled to the same inheritance as his brother. Now, here's, here's how inheritance would work. Right? You would have the father, and then he would take the amount of his sons and divide the inheritance it's kind of like an equation of X plus one. So say you had five sons, you would divide it six ways. And you would take two of those parts and give it to your oldest son. Right? So you would, if you had two sons, X plus one, you would have three ways to part the inheritance. Part it in thirds. You take two of those thirds and give it to the oldest son. So, so what is happening is the youngest son... Is, is concerned now because he realizes how large the inheritance is, therefore how much larger older brother's inheritance is. Jesus, tell this older brother of mine to divide the inheritance with me. Inherent in his question is a fear of losing out on the riches of this world. But I think even deeper, and I think Jesus sees into this based on his response, even deeper than this, is a, is, a, is a false belief that he's actually going to be able to keep here on this earth everything that he inherits. And therefore, if he doesn't inherit it, he's really missing out. Right? He, he has this false belief that that is mine. I own that. Or, or I des- I'm entitled to that. I deserve that. And the obvious tension with this fear is it's not actually true. He doesn't get to keep these things here on earth. They're not his. God has granted them to him for a time and then for the rest of time after he's gone, somebody else gets them. And after they're gone, somebody else gets them. So in being selfish and hoarding all of his stuff, trying to lay up treasures for himself, he's completely missed out on the kind of treasure that lasts. To which Jesus is sad over his condition. So in the following verses, Jesus you know, sends out this stern warning against all kind of covetousness, all kind of selfish greediness, and, and his initial point is, one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. In other words, it's not about what you have. Here on earth, that's, there's more to life than that. So Jesus Likens this man's attitude towards wealth to this wealthy farmer in the parable. But at the end of the parable, what I'm left with is this: this question. This, this. It's just still kind of burning inside of me. Okay, is this just one of, one of your ways of saying um, th- that that uh, life is meaningless? There, there's it's fut- futile to store up wealth. Is this just one of those depressing stories with a predictable point, Jesus? Are you just kind of regurgitating the book of Ecclesiastes? And the answer is no. I think the actually, what Jesus is saying is the exact opposite. You you read through this and you're like, man, are you just saying it's pointless to store up wealth? And I think Jesus is saying the exact opposite. And, And the clue that cues me into this is the word that God calls this wealthy farmer. He calls him a fool. Fool. Which is kind of like getting slapped in the face or punched in the nose. You're like, what? It's, it's, it's blunt and it's offensive. Um, but it's also pitying. God says, this fool, this very light night your life will be demanded of you. Then who will get what you prepared for yourself? And the more I think about it, the more I kind of ruminated on this, the word fool really seems out of place. It really seems like a strange thing to call him. Especially if you consider all of the names that God could have referred to him as, right? On the one hand, God could have said, you you poor man. You, you poor man. That would have been a statement about this man's misfortune, right? He was unlucky to die too soon to experience all of his wealth that God had blessed him with. You, you poor man. No moral judgment, just pity. On the other hand, God could have said, you wicked man. This label, this wicked label would have referred to his moral condition, that he had done something wrong in his character by keeping all of this wealth for himself and not sharing it with people in need. He could have been judging the man for being too selfish. You wicked man. And God doesn't call him either of these things. Rather, he, he, he doesn't comment on the man's misfortune. He doesn't comment on the man's moral character. What he comments on is this man's low intelligence. You are dumb. You fool. You fool. It's not you wicked man, not you poor man, not you evil man, not you selfish man. You fool. You're dumb. You didn't, you didn't think things all the way through. You made a tactical error in the way that you lived your life. Which is, which is unusual as I think about this. Because this is a savvy businessman. Fabulously wealthy. The desire... Of all of the guys in town. This guy actually played the markets pretty well. He played the crops pretty well. He amassed a very good fortune for himself. So we don't expect God to say you're stupid. But that's what God calls this guy. And God asks, what will you get? With all of these things that you've prepared for yourself. Who will get what you have? And the implied answer is. Not you. It's going to pass to somebody else. God is saying, you didn't act in your own best self-interest. You did yourself a disservice. And so with this concise statement in verse 21, Jesus says, so is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. He's drawing this revealing parallel between this man's poor state Eternal misfortune parallel between this guy and those who are not rich toward God. Now think about this. The wealthy farmer could not possibly have known that he was going to die when he did. No one one knows when they're going to die. And even if he did... Everybody dies! It's kind of expected. I think the last stat I read was like 10 out of 10 people die. Like you can kind of bank on it. And so, so to say that this guy didn't think things all the way through is kind of head-scratching. Like what are you talking about? What alternative is there, God? You can't keep your money for yourself after death. So, so all that Solomon... And all the wise men throughout all the ages have said, why does God call him a fool? Like this, this seems out of place. I'm drawing this tension out because I, it, it leads us straight to the point of what Jesus is saying. Because the phrase that Jesus uses unlocks this mystery. And it's the phrase rich toward God. It's as if Jesus shakes his head and says it's a shame. Man, this guy was so rich on earth when instead... He could have been rich toward God. And this possibility is, is, is intriguing because Jesus sees a loophole here. He's helping us to beat the system. He's trying to let us in on it. Jesus says that in storing, instead of storing up a, an account of wealth here on earth that he's bound to lose and never to be able to keep, instead he could have been storing up wealth in an account that he would never ever lose. It would never empty out. Jesus is saying you missed out on something so much bigger. Because a bit later what Jesus says here, verse, uh, what is it, verse 33. Jesus says, provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old and with a treasure in heaven that does not fail where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. This rich man's treasure had failed him. But Jesus says there's a treasure that doesn't fail. The rich man's money bags went to somebody else. But Jesus says, provide yourself with money bags that never grow old. This rich man is not a fool because he surrendered his entire misfortune. But because he didn't have to. He could have kept it for himself. He could have provided money bags for himself had he simply stored his treasure in heaven instead of on earth. So as I look at this text, Jesus seems to be saying to this rich man and everybody, or to this this anxious brother who missed out on his inheritance, and everybody else listening, that there's more to life than anxiously accumulating an abundance of possessions here on earth. And he's going to discover life when he's rich towards God, believing that he will take care of him, that when he's rich towards God, he's going to Discover a freedom from worry, a freedom from anxiety, and he's going to gain wealth that he can never lose. That's what Jesus is saying to this desperately anxious brother. But I think what Jesus is saying to us is a similar thing. That there's more to life than anxiously accumulating an abundance of possessions here on earth that you're bound to lose. Be rich towards God. Believe that he's going to take care of you. Don't believe the lies, the stress, and anxiety are trying to give to you. When you do this you will discover freedom from worry, freedom from anxiety, and you're going to gain wealth that you can never lose. In other words, if I could summarize what Jesus is saying, and I think he does it very concisely, be rich toward God. Be fabulously wealthy. Be abundantly lucrative. Be rich towards God. There's a direction that your riches go, where they won't come, come failing, they won't come crashing down, they won't empty out, be rich toward God, and I love that, it sounds so pithy and wise, and, and I'm like, oh man, that's like a bumper sticker, that's like a t-shirt, that's like a, a wristband, that sounds so good, and then I started thinking about it, I was like, but what does it mean? <laughs> like, okay, I want to be rich, How? In 2019, what does it look like to actually be rich towards God? And I want to I draw three ways that we can be rich towards God. Three ways today, in 2019, 2020, that we can be rich towards God. The first one is to live out your belief in a real way. Like, put your money where your mouth is. You say you believe God? You say that you trust that God will provide Live out your belief in a real way. The first, I make this point first because I really believe that if you don't actually believe what Jesus is saying here, you're not going to... This won't be something that lasts in your life. You're not going to go for it in the same all-in manner that Jesus is describing. And, and by believing, I'm not talking about the sentiment of hope, but, but the lived demonstration of an actual conviction. That's believing. Live as, actually, live as if you actually believe God will take care of you. And in fact, the accurate conclusion can be drawn from what Jesus is saying here that when you're, when you're anxious to accumulate an abundance of possessions here on earth, you are actually living as if you believe God is a liar and doesn't care about you. Now, I need to be my own provider. It's called practical atheism. I say I believe in God, but I don't live like I mean it. Every time the enemy fires a temptation at you to lay up treasure for yourself, what he's doing is fighting against you in the same way that he fought against Adam and Eve in the garden. He fought against Jesus in the wilderness. Did God really say? Will God actually take care of you? Is he truly going to be there for you? Is that just like a nice sentiment? Every time that you fall for the temptation to increase your anxiety by accumulating treasure for yourself, you are living like a fool as if there is no God. You're acting as if God doesn't care for you. But every time you choose to be rich towards God living by faith, you're bringing joy to the heart of God. It's God's joy and you're released from, God, from anxiety. You're brought into a mind-blowing peace. And you're building a wealth that you can never, ever lose. Psalm 14.1, I love how it says it. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. Don't live like a fool as if there's no God. Don't be a practical atheist and short-sighted when it comes to the resources that you have, that God's given you, that you don't actually have control over. I, We've been talking about this for 10 weeks in our Faith Bit series. Get your faith moving. Don't just hear the Word of God. Do what it says. So start being rich towards God by living out your belief today. I guess my question for you, as I, as I settle at the end of this, this first point, is are you living as if you're rich for God? Are you living as if you actually believe what the Bible says? Like I said earlier, if life is going to look different, life is going to have to look different. Some of us like to say we believe in God. Prove it. So live out your beliefs in a real way. Number two, give your wealth away. Give it away. After all, you can't, you can't keep it here on earth. Right, they, say, they say there's two things That are inevitable. Two things that you cannot avoid. Death and taxes. Right? And Jesus is saying that there's actually a way to cheat both. Right? Give your money away here on earth. You're going to die. But your money doesn't have to. Give your money away here on earth. And you are going to store up an abundance of treasure in heaven. He's talking material wealth. Give your money away. And frankly, you might even get a killer tax break doing that. And so, I think about that. How exactly is this storing treasure in heaven accomplished? What does that even look like? Jesus tells us that. If you you take a look at the sentence that comes just before provide money bags for yourselves, this is verse 33. What does he say? He says, sell your possession and give to the needy. Provide money bags with yourself that don't grow old and a treasure in heaven that does not fail? The answer to this question is actually remarkably simple. All that's necessary to transfer wealth from an earthly account to a heavenly account is to give it all away. Whatever you give away, you keep. Whatever you give up, you get to keep. And I think once you see how this giving works, you actually begin to realize that's the smartest way to deal with all of the abundance of wealth that God has provided for you. That's the smart thing. If you remember what Jesus said to the rich ruler, he said that the reason he should have sold his possessions and given to the poor was not that it would have been a nice and loving and charitable thing to do was not that it would have made the world a better place. Was not that it would have done something for his character. This is interesting. As Jesus talks about money, Jesus' argument for why the rich young ruler should have given aggressively is based primarily on his appeal for his own self-interest. Which is unusual to not expected coming from the mouth of Jesus. He, he does not say to give for the sake of the poor or even for God's sake. Newsflash, God doesn't need your money. He kind of made it all. He gave it to you in the first place. He's not broke. And Jesus said, the poor you will always have with you. You can always give to the, Like, Jesus is saying to the rich ruler here, give, give your money away for your own self-interest. Like a wise financial planner, Jesus is dispensing advice here on how to invest strategically. Like heavenly, eternal wealth management solutions. Give your money away that you can't keep it in order to earn money that you can keep. Famous missionary Jim Elliott used this phrase, and I I love this. This captures the heart of what Jesus is saying. He said, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Did you catch that? Like, he is no fool. Unlike the man in Jesus' story who was. The man's problem wasn't that he was selfish. His problem that he was slow on the uptake. He was a little bit, a few fries short of a happy meal. Like, this guy was a fool. He didn't think things all the way through. So don't be a fool. Be rich toward God. Give your wealth away. I read this stat yesterday, and it just blew me away. From a national church-wide survey, thousands of churches were surveyed. Did you know that on average, Christians, people who say they believe God, give 2.5% of their income. Did you also know the same category of people, Christians, in the United States of America, during the Great Depression gave 3.3%? It's telling. I think God is saying it's telling where your heart is. Like Jeff, Jeff, Pastor Jeff said this beautifully last week, if Jesus doesn't have your money, he doesn't actually have all of your heart. Where your money goes, your heart flows. I am not saying this to you this morning because I want your money. I know God will provide. I, what I'm saying this, because I want you to know God. I want you to experience something that Jesus is offering for the wise, for the prudent. Jesus is giving heavenly wisdom for each one of us. And he is saying that the wise, those who actually want to keep their wealth, give it away here on earth. And here's the, here's the promise. Here's the promise. Receive peace today. That's my third point. How, how, do, you, how do you be rich towards God. This is the way that you live on the abundance of your riches towards God. Is you actually receive the peace that he offers. You receive the freedom from anxiety. Did you know that you can actually resist peace when it's offered freely? Some of you guys know exactly what I'm talking about. You're really good. You're really good at saying no thanks when peace is offered to you. And you're like, I'd rather hang on to my anxiety. I'd rather worry about it a little bit more. We're really good these days at convincing ourselves to reject peace. But remember what what. We're saying, like where your money goes, that's where your heart flows. And when your money and your heart is flowing steadily towards God, you're going to experience a byproduct of peace, and you're going to start to notice anxiety and worry just begin to vanish. When God's in control of your finances, you'll find that he's also going to be in control of your heart and in control of your mind, and that brings peace and that banishes anxiety. And you're going to receive that kind of peace the moment that you begin to let your money flow towards God. I love this, immediately following the parable, right? Jesus gives this parable of the rich and wealthy farmer. Immediately after that, he illustrates his main point, his conclusion of what he's trying to say. He illustrates that in such a beautiful way to say that you can actually silence your anxiety. You can choose rather to believe that there's actually more to life. There's more to treasures that are meant There's more to life than treasures that are meant only for you. Anxiety gets louder when you believe the lie that what you have compared to somebody else is the way that you measure your life. When you do that, anxiety begins to skyrocket. And Jesus is saying that there's more. There's more. Anxiety doesn't have to cripple you. You can find a real and a rich life when God takes care of what you actually need. You can live With the inner beauty of the birds and the flowers. You you can find this this voice of peace that banishes anxiety in your life. And and this is exactly how Jesus illustrates his point of the wealthy farmer. He talks about the birds and the plants that God takes care of in their everyday life. You're probably familiar with that description. You've probably seen it embroidered on a pillow or in a frame at Hobby Lobby or something like that. Listen, this is... mm. This is powerful. Listen to what Jesus says. Verse 24. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouses nor barns. And yet God feeds them. Are you not? Oh, I lost my spot. God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you by being anxious can add a single hour to his span of life? If you're not able to do a small thing like that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor they spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today in the, and tomorrow sown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O oh you of little faith? And do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried for all the nations of the world seek after these things. But your Father knows that you need them. Instead... This is key. I'm going to get to this in a little bit. Seek his kingdom. A little bit later in a different uh, one of the Gospels, Jesus says, seek first his kingdom, and all these things will be added to you. Fear not. You see that? Here it comes. Fear is banished. Fear not, little flock. It is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. So sell your possessions. Give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old with a treasure that in heaven that does not fail where no thief approaches, no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. It's one of the most well-known passages in all of Scripture, but it's also one of the most misunderstood. I want to reference an awesome book I recently discovered. It's called You of Little Faith by Ryan Thomas. Because I have this question, what is Jesus actually talking about here? And I think Thomas answers this very well. He says, let's start by acknowledging the part we can all agree on. Jesus is, not, is telling us not to worry about our physical needs. There's a little confusion about that, but Why? Why does he tell us not to worry? How exactly does he expect us to stop? If you read this passage literally, what Jesus seems to be saying is that you can trust God to pay our bills, because he will. Like, he'll take care of, what just, of us, just like the way he takes care of the birds of the air and the flowers of the field. Yet most of us quickly conclude that can't possibly be what he's talking about. We dismiss this literal interpretation out of hand, because it's so difficult for us to imagine how, how, how this would happen. Do clues and, clothes and food just show up on our doorstep? Right? Does God find us an apartment to rent? Does he does he pay the rent? Does he does he pay our bills for us or frankly just skip that step and send the bills straight to the people that we owe? Because that seems kind of far-fetched. We decide that can't possibly be what it means. So we try to find another interpretation. Perhaps Jesus is just talking about a mindset here. I gotta try really hard not to worry while I do all the things that I, I normally do. I gotta go about my business normally. But just constantly remind myself, God's got it. God will take care of me. That's got to be what it is. And that's not what it is. That second, less literal interpretation, the idea that Jesus is just talking about a state of mind, is incorrect. It's, It's fallacious. It's wrong. Rather, the first interpretation, that literal and ridiculous sounding one, about God sending you checks coming in the mail, making money show up in your account for bills to be paid, That's the correct interpretation of this text. That seems to be what Jesus is talking about here. He's not saying, he is saying not to worry about your financial needs because God literally, actually, really will take care of them for you. And you might say, but that's never happened for me. And I'd say, I bet you're right. I bet that never has happened for you. And you might say, well... You might have probably expected me to say, well, yeah, I'm sure it's happened for you. You just didn't realize that you need to have a different perspective. Uh, You weren't paying attention. But I think that's a cop-out. To be honest, my guess is God probably hasn't ever provided for your needs in that sort of way, and I think I know why. Maybe he has, and I think I know why. Many of the promises in the Bible have this interesting feature. They're not promises. Well, in, in the traditional sense of the word. Instead of being one-way unilateral proclamations, they're two-way bilateral contracts. They're covenants in which each side has a part to play. God does his part, we do our part. If then, if you do this, then I will do this, God says. Now, I want to clear up a confusion on this point because the love of God is 100% unconditional sheer grace. Regardless of my actions. In fact, in spite of my actions sometimes. But many of the specific promises are totally dependent on our actions. In this passage, what's the if-then statement? I don't want you to miss this because it's, it's maybe easy to overlook because it happens, it doesn't have the word if in it, but it happens at the end of this text um, in verse 31. Instead, seek his kingdom and all these things will be added to you. That's it. That's our part. Seek first his kingdom. God will take care of our needs. If, 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 Our part is to seek the kingdom of God above all else. God's part, if and only if we do our part, is to take care of everything else for us. To make sure that, quote, all these things will be added to you. Which, of course, leads us to another question. What does it mean to seek first his kingdom? And I think this is the reason why this passage is so commonly misunderstood. People think of seeking God's kingdom first as this vague, super spiritual thing, like, you know, be a super Christian, only ever wear Jesus t-shirts, leave your job and go be a missionary in some other country. That's not what he means, at least not in this passage. It's not this vague standard of super spirituality, quite the opposite, in fact. Um, In this passage, seeking first the kingdom of God, it can be boiled down to one tangible, very practical thing. And we can figure out what it is by looking at the context as a whole. Look at, I mean, if you look at the entire context of this is found in this promise, this conditional promise is found in, check this out, think back to the way the passage begins, what Jesus says, watch out, be on guard against all kinds of greediness. Your life doesn't consist in the abundance of your possessions. That's the intro. How does it end? Verses 32 and 33. Fear not, little flock, for it's your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions, give to the needy, provide yourselves with money bags that don't grow old. Jesus is talking about money. He starts by talking about money. He ends by talking about money. And in the middle, he's talking about the types of material needs that require money. (laughs) Putting it all together, this famous worry or anxiety passage is not actually about worry. At least in the direct sense. It's about the one specific subject we're most prone to worry about. It's about money. So when Jesus says... I'm going to land the plane here really fast. When Jesus says to seek first the kingdom of God. That might mean a number of different material things. But the one thing it certainly means, the one thing it has to mean based on the context, is about money. So what does it mean to seek first the kingdom of God? It means to give your money first to the kingdom of God before meeting your own physical needs. Seek first the kingdom, then comes the promise. If you do that, God will provide for you financially. This is a money passage. And that's where the peace of God resides. That's where anxiety is banished. That's where abundance is realized when you store up treasure for yourselves in heaven, when you're rich toward God. Be rich toward God. Don't be a fool. Be rich towards God. Believe in Him in a tangible, practical way. Give your wealth away on earth and keep it eternally. And receive God's peace today. So the, the pathway to discovering this eternally rich life, I think Jesus' answer is so powerful. Be rich toward God. There's so much more to life than anxiously accumulating an abundance of possessions here on earth. So let's actually believe Jesus. And let's be rich towards God. Join me and pray. Jesus, Your words are powerful and hard-hitting at times, but we know that there's a grace that is offered and provided to those who take you up on your word. Lord, I pray that you would help us to have the faith to put our money where our mouth is, the faith to trust you, the faith to experience the grace that you offer to those who believe you. God, I pray that you would help us to know you at a deeper level when we give to you and you provide for us. Amen.